everybody, to our visitors. Also welcome. My name is Donny to the visitors. It's Donny with a D, not with a B. Uh, it's not the purple one. Uh, and so you've heard there's this great news. And so are you ready for the great news? All right, after the sermon. And so we have gone through this a few times this morning, and hopefully by now you know it off by heart. And I know Etienne loves us to do this every Sunday to tell you what is our mission statement. Every eldest meeting, he is the guy that says, can we just make sure we say the mission statement? Uh, and so, Etienne, I'm going to do it a third time for you this morning. But I'm going to do it a bit different because we say this every Sunday because Etienne asks us. Um, but I don't know if you've seen that there's actually two things that we say in our mission statement. So when you look at our mission statement, the first thing you'll see is what we do. Did you see that? Let me help you. We exist to honor God by planting churches and campus ministries in every nation. That is what we do. And that is why Riet and Jaku Oldewagen and their son Ivan busy being prepared to go to Europe. Uh, and so currently we are trusting for January 2025 that they will be on the ground there in Europe. And so this is what we do. We plant churches and campus ministries. But then there's a second thing. So we exist to honor God by establishing how does our churches look? How, does, how is it that, or how do we look? So when people walk into our churches across the world, this is what they're supposed to see. So when we plant a church in a campus ministry, this is what it should look like. It should be a Christ-centered church where everything is about Jesus. And so what we need to say is, well, how does that then look? If you say it is a Christ-centered church, how does it look? How does a Christ-centered church look? And so there's many attributes that we can look at, but let's maybe take one. Jesus' love for the orphans. Jesus' love for the widows. Jesus' love for the poor, the needy, the oppressed, the captive. Throughout the Bible, God speaks about the responsibility to look after the orphan and the widow, the captive the poor and the needy. And so a Christ-centered church will align itself with God's Word, which is where social responsibility comes from. You heard many things about social responsibility this morning, and I just defined it to you. When the Bible speaks about social responsibility, it speaks about orphans. It speaks about widows. It speaks about poor, the foreigner, and the captive. And so what you need to be doing there is if this is family, and this is our mission statement, Donnie, and you say this is how we should look, then the question is, if we say these five things, how are we doing? Is that what people will see about us as a church? You see, because you cannot separate God's heart, His Father's heart, from His call to us as a church to be social responsible. Without God's heart, this becomes a thing that we do. It becomes a project. And so I don't walk around with a tick list every morning that I greet all my children, that I tell my wife how beautiful she looks and that I love her. No, this just flows from a loving heart. And so when we think of this social responsibility, we need to understand that it flows from a loving heart of our Father in heaven. And so that is my topic this morning. I'm going to speak about the heart of the Father. And so you can open your Bibles with me to Luke 15. 
as we're going to read together. We're going to study this, this passage together, Luke chapter 15. So let me just give you some context. Uh, Jesus is speaking to a specific audience. Around him is tax collectors and sinners, but there's also the Pharisees and the lawmakers. And the Pharisees and the lawmakers are unhappy about Jesus speaking and entertaining these sinners. And so Jesus starts by, by telling them three parables. And we're going to look at the last one, uh, the, parable, or the, the, yeah, the parable of the prodigal son. For, for, for many, many years, it's been known as the, the, the parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal meaning the squanderer. The one that squandered everything away. And so there's this young son that goes to his father and he asks for the inheritance and he lives recklessly and he loses everything. He squanders everything. And so it would be a great mistake to look at this parable and to think that Jesus is only speaking about one son, the younger one. We all know that he's speaking about two sons in this parable. The two brothers, the younger brother and the older brother, and their relationship with their father. And so this parable, when Jesus tells this parable, and when we read it today, we are meant to look at it and to, to, to contrast between the two different relationships of the younger son and the father and the older son and the father. And so by doing that, we will get to the essence of why Jesus is sharing this parable. But there's another interesting thing about this parable. You see, there's a specific way of how you were supposed to tell a parable, a story in those days. There was a way in which you build up the story. And so it was called, you know, the, free, the three-phase act. There's a act one, which is to create the background, to set up the story. And then you go into the conflict. So in this story, there is a conflict. And then you end off your parable or your story with a solution. And so what is interesting about this parable, the parable of the prodigal son, the lost son as it also is known, is Jesus starts off by sharing the background. He gives the conflict, but there's no solution. And so why? Let's read. Luke 15 verse 11. Jesus continued there was a man who had two sons. The youngest one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between the two of them. But you need to understand here, in, in those days, it would have been frowned upon for you to go to your father and to ask you for your inheritance before your father actually passed away. And so it was, it was thought that if your son came and asked you this, that you had to if not verbally, physically chase him out with lashes out of the house. And so when we look at this father, we see a different response. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything there, was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach 
with the pots that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so again, let's just pause here. We know from studying the word that in your house was your family. And then you had servants. Servants were those that you bought with a price. And so they were an extended part of your family. They did not live on a different place. They lived there where the family lived. And they ate what the family lived. Uh, ate. And so when he is speaking about a higher servant, he's speaking about a third entity part of this family, which is those that Jesus or the, the owner of the estate, not Jesus, the owner of the estate would go and he would hire servants, pay them a daily wage to come and do work if work was needed, more hands were needed. But they would then leave again and stay where they stayed and ate what they had to eat. And so when this son is making this plan, he is saying, I will go back to my father and ask him to be a higher servant. I want to work my way back into this family. I want to be able to pay and to make restitution for what I've done wrong. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. What would you have done if this was your son, my friend? Seeing him coming from afar, maybe tapping your feet, this better be good. Hey, Jono, this better be good. Not this father. And again, you need to see the heart of this father. You need to see the heart of this father, not this father. This father got up, and we know that they wore robes. And so he had to pull up his robe. He had to show his legs, which was an undignified thing to do in that day and age. The patriarch of the family never ran. And we see how this father runs towards his son. Why? Because of the father's heart for his son. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have the feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come home. He, he replied, And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Now the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered the, his father, Look. Let's look at how he addresses his father. Not father. Look. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet 
You never gave me even a young goat to, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother, not your son. See, in this we see how the oldest son is refusing to be part of the same family as this brother of his. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Father responded, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. Father, thank you that we can now ask you just to reveal your heart to us through the scripture. In Jesus' name. And so Jesus starts off by telling the story, by setting up. He's setting up, the, he's giving us the background. And what is he telling us about the background and the story? There was one father who had two sons. And we know that he was a wealthy man. And we know that the younger brother came to the father and he asked him for his, his share of the estate. Now, for the father to be able to give the son this share, it meant that he had to physically sell a piece of his property to be able to give to the son in money what was his. Having two sons, we know because of the law in that time that the eldest son would always give, get a double portion. And so of the father's estate, the eldest son got two-thirds and the youngest a third. But it was also known that to ask your father for his estate was actually saying, I wish you dead. I wish you dead. And by selling his property, we see how this father places himself in shame in the community. And so what we know about the background of this story is that the youngest son was more worried about the father's things, the wealth, the estate than he was about the father. And then act two starts, where the oldest son comes into the story, and Jesus again gives us the background. Background here is the eldest son coming, and he hears the music and the party and everything that is happening. And he stands outside, being furious and angry. And at first glance, we might think that it's because of the father uh, embracing the youngest son and bringing him back into the home. But that would be a mistake. Just listen to what he says. Never have you given. You see, to eat meat in that day was a delicacy. Meat was very expensive. You did not eat meat. And if you were to eat meat, maybe a goat. Henshim asks, he's asking for the goat. And so to kill the fattened calf was unheard of. It's unheard of. It is a delicacy. And so again we see how the older brother is angry, not because of the heart of the father, but because by killing the fattened calf and by allowing the younger brother back into the house, he is actually paying for this at his expense. Because the fattened calf, was his. And so we see how the elder brother is more worried about the father's things than he is about the father's heart. 
And so this is the background, the backdrop of the story Jesus is telling. And so don't forget who's the audience. Don't forget who's the audience. You've got the sinners and the tax collectors and the Pharisees and the lawmakers. And Jesus highlights the conflict, which is obvious. The conflict in this parable is the relationship the two sons have with the father. You see, for them, it was more important to worry about the father's wealth and status for them, for their gain, than it was to to worry about the father's heart. They were more worried about wealth and status than they were about the father's heart. And so how would that look in our day and age? We know Colossians 1 verse 16 says, For everything was created by God, for God. And so everything we see, everything we are, everything we have is supposed to bring glory to God. And the youngest son in this story would do what? He would also understand that the father has given him a free will. And so instead of using what he has to glorify the father, to love the father, he uses his free will to run after his lustful desires. And so in this story, the youngest son tries to get control. Tries to get control by leaving and being disobedient. So by leaving and being disobedient, I can take control of my life. And we see the eldest son trying to get control by staying and obeying. You know, if I'm generous, if I'm generous, if I obey, then surely God will bless me. Can you see the elder brother attitude? If I do this, then God will do this. Can you see the elder brother attitude? And so the elder brother stayed, he tried to get control by staying and obeying. We see how the youngest son tried to get control by breaking all the rules. Whilst the oldest brother tried to get control by keeping all the rules. And so when Jesus speaks to his audience, what he's saying to his audience, both of these brothers were lost. Both of them did not have a relationship with the father. And we know by studying this that the father in this story represents God, our Father. And so both brothers did not have a relationship with God the Father. They were both alienated. They were both alienated from the Father. You see, there's two kinds of lostness, which is why Jesus adds the second brother into the story. You can completely miss God. By being moral and religious. You can completely miss God. Meaning you can sit here and think that you're okay. But actually you're not. Actually you are alienated from God. And you think by doing all the right things. And keeping all the laws. That this will bring me in right standing with God. By ticking all the boxes. When Jesus, or when the word speaks about caring for the orphan, caring for the widow, looking after the poor, the captive, and the foreigner, by just ticking the boxes, I'm okay. No, you are not okay. 
you are not okay. You can miss the Father by being religious and moral. You can miss the Father by being irreligious and immoral, which is normally the obvious one we all say, yes. That one, because of his sin, does not have. But this one, I mean, look at Etienne. He wants the, the, the mission statement every Sunday. What a good man. You can miss the Father. You can miss the Father. And so going back to the start of this chapter, chapter 15, verse 1, we see the presence of the tax collectors, the younger brother sinner types around Jesus. And we see the, the Pharisee, older brother, religious types around Jesus. And so the Pharisees are questioning Jesus' actions by allowing sinners into his presence and eating with them. And he starts off by telling them three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, which is what? There was a man, here's the background, who had a hundred sheep. And he lost one conflict. And he left the 99 to go and look for that one solution. And when he found him, he brought him back and there was a celebration. Jesus continued into the next parable, the second parable of the lost coin. Again, the background, there was a man who had many coins. He lost one. And he stopped and he looked for that. There's the solution. Until he found it. And he had a great celebration. And then the third parable. The parable of the lost son. The background. The conflict. This son was lost. The lost son. But here's the thing. Nobody went to look for the lost son. There's the difference. Nobody went to look for the lost son, like Jesus told about the, the one sheep that got lost and the one coin. Striking that nobody went to look for the lost son. Jesus purposefully puts this in here for us, the readers, to ask, but who was supposed to go? Who was supposed to go? And in this, we find just the redemptive story of the Father. The Father's heart to see that everybody gets saved and nobody gets lost. That's the redemptive story. So in this question and the answer that I'm going to share now, we see the redemptive story. You see, in that culture, in that day and age, they knew who was supposed to go and look for the younger son. It was the older brother. As the eldest, you received a double portion of the inheritance. But with that, a great responsibility to keep the family together, to keep the estate together, to keep family, family. And a good elder brother in this story would have done the following. He would have come to the father and said, Father, my brother has gone and he is lost, but I will go and look for him. And when I find him, I will bring him back at great expense and great cost to myself. Will I bring him back? You see, when the father distributed the estate between the two of them, the younger brother took what it was his and he wasted it. And what was left was the eldest brother's estate, even the fatted calf. And when he says, by great expense and great cost 
it means it would have literally cost him something to bring back the brother. It would have cost him to share his estate with his brother. The ring that the father placed on the brother's finger belonged to the elder brother. The robe belonged to the elder brother. The sandals belonged to the elder brother. It is in this story that we see the heart of the father. The father's heart for us today is to know that he desires for his sons and daughters to come home. Father's heart is for his sons and daughters to come home and to be in relationship with him. For those that come home, it's free because of the grace of the Father. But it came at an immensely high expense to the elder brother. It cost him his life. See, instead of receiving a rope, Jesus was stripped naked. Instead of receiving a ring, he received the thorn crown. Instead of the fattened calf, a sponge of vinegar. And as Jesus is looking at his audience then, he's looking at his audience now. Can you hear the call of the elder brother to come home? Can you hear the call of the elder brother? Can you see the heart of the father? For some of you sitting here, maybe you have heard the call, but you have not responded because of your shame. What you have done. I remember when we adopted Umpilwe, we went and fetched him at the house, the safe house, and we brought him back. The ladies told us that he will take quite considerable time to warm up to me as, as a male because he's never seen any male figure. And so I remember in those first three days, just walking into the room, literally just walking in and sitting. He would play, and as soon as I walk into the room, Susan was with him 24-7. And so when I walk in, he would run to her, and he would hold her, and he would just look at me. And I remember by day two, just looking at him and saying to him, if only you knew how much love I have to give you. If only you knew how much love I have to give you. And in that moment, the Spirit just spoke into my heart. If only you know how much love the Father has to give to you. And so you might be sitting here with shame. Can I tell you, as an earthly father who has adopted a son, that loves my son immensely, immensely. Can we just kill that music? How much more our heavenly father? Some of you, maybe like the elder brother this morning, you are home. You are home. But you have never, ever experienced just the warm embrace, the love of our Heavenly Father. You find it difficult to relate to Him as a Father. Now I know for me, I came to faith in 1994. I struggled for 10 years to relate to God as a Father. Why? Because of my story. Being left on my own at 15, I had to grow up quickly. I had to man up quickly. 
There was no home to return to after school to be comforted, to have good conversations, to get information, to be blessed. And so it made me grow up way too early. And I knew that I knew that I had to fend for myself. And so when I came to faith, I struggled. I struggled to relate to God as Father. And I read books and I listened to various things. And it wasn't up until one day when God said to me, Donnie, you are, you are relating or trying to relate to me from the wrong place. You are trying to relate to me as a father to a father, as a grown man to a grown man. When indeed, when I look upon you, I see a son. I had to learn what it meant to become a son in the house of the father. That it's okay not to be strong. That it's okay to not know everything. It is okay to say to your father in heaven, I don't know. I do not have the answers. I do not have the answers. See, but we will find it difficult to do if we try and relate to him from you being the one in control, the father speaking to a father. And so whilst I'm looking at you this morning, I know that I know that this story is not just true for me. There are so many of us sitting here this morning, like the elder brother, you are in the house. But you have never experienced just the relationship with the Father. You just want to close your eyes. I just want to pray for us. I know that I know that there might be somebody here this morning. Like the youngest son, you've got a desire to go back home, but you feel ashamed. And you're almost putting a plea bargain in place with God that you will work your way back. To you this morning, I want to say, if only you knew how much love the Father has to give to you. And so if that is you, I just want to pray with you, Father. In this moment, I pray, Holy Spirit, will you come and touch hearts? Just since there's a specific man here this morning, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. But God is speaking to you right now. He is wiping away your shame. And I see how He is putting up on you a new robe and a ring and sandals on your feet. And He's embracing you. And He's calling you son. Don't you want to just accept the Father's love this morning? So many of us sitting here this morning struggles to relate to God as Father. You're in the home. This is a tough relationship for you. You can relate with Jesus. 
You can relate with the Holy Spirit. He's calling you this morning to put on the robe of a daughter and to put on the robe of a son and to become a child in His presence. Don't you just want to respond to that invitation by yourself? I can see the Spirit's just speaking to people now. You know that you know that that is you. You just want to speak to the Father. Jesus, thank you for being our solution. Thank you for paying the price, for being the good elder brother. A great expense to yourself so that we can stand here and sit here this morning and gaze upon the Father and call unto Him as Father. Just come and help us. Holy Spirit, help us to get rid of this elder brother mentality in our lives. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.